Hey everyone, Jace here. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to tell you about a campaign for an awesome creator-owned book that's going on right now over at Zoop. Axewilder John is the story of a savage journey into the heart of a man driven mad by love, by hate, by power, as he is hounded by hordes of relentless enemies who will stop at nothing to reclaim what John has stolen. This is a real passion project for writer-artist Nick Patera, as he's drawing inspiration from creators he loves, such as Frank Quietly, Jeff Darrow, and Mobius, among others. The book is also a deeply personal tale for Nick. He conceived a lot of the character and stories while his family was dealing with health challenges for his youngest daughter. Just like real life, the story is much more complicated than it might seem at first glance. And the axe-wielding barbarian at the heart of the story may be much, much more relatable than your average bloodthirsty warrior. The project's already fully funded, so go join the campaign, and you're guaranteed to get this full-color, oversized, hardcover edition. Just visit zoop.gg to check it out. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. Today, we have a returning guest who has her biggest selling independent title ever coming out today as we record this. Uh, You may also know her as the writer of Harley Quinn and tons of other great titles. She's been on the show before to talk about them. It's my pleasure to welcome Stephanie Phillips back to the show. Stephanie, thanks for joining me. Yeah, always a pleasure. I love talking with you. Yeah. uh, So first of all, I have to say, Dr. Stephanie Phillips, congratulations (laughs) on Grimm. Uh, just a huge success. Like, um, in fact, I, so I ordered from my local comic shop, but I'm, I'm on the road in Florida, as everybody knows. And of course I I had to go to a local one and pick up a couple different. Oh, that's awesome. You got the foil cover. (laughs) I did. I did. And I have the, uh, some variants, um, back at my local, local shop. So, uh, it really blew me away. Everybody go pick it up. It just dropped this Wednesday. It's, really subverted my expectations. I thought it was going to go a little darker and it's almost seemed whimsical in a way. So why don't we start with the elevator pitch and then we'll kind of get into some details. We're not going to go too spoilery, everybody. Don't worry, because we want you to go out and pick it up and read it for yourself. But just give everybody an idea of what the story is about. Yeah. Um, so the main character, Jessica Harrow, is a reaper. Um, and it's kind of about the system of the afterlife as seen through Jessica Harrow. And what makes her different from other reapers is she's the only reaper that doesn't know how she died. Um, so it's kind of got this little bit, a little bit of a tone of like a murder mystery. Well, to solve that, there's kind of the larger mystery that boom put in the solicits that was a bit of a bit of a spoiler but the grim reaper himself is actually missing so so the big man in charge is is missing so to solve her own death she kind of goes on this adventure to find the missing grim reaper yeah and it's so fascinating because usually you think of uh, of a reaper whether it's you know a, a team of reapers or, or one uh, you know in, in mythology as being this sort of all-knowing all-powerful really mysterious Jessica came across in the first issue as so relatable. Uh, and I, you know, I found that to be kind of endearing. Is that something when you were conceiving of her that you wanted to be sure to, to get across it? Really, she's almost like an every woman. 
<laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I think a part of that too was like a back and forth with Flaviano on the design. So um, I think in my head, I wanted someone that, um, because I'm writing Harley, who's like very verbal and colorful, I wanted to do somebody that was a little bit opposite than that. So a little bit quieter, sarcastic, with more of a biting wit. Um, and uh, I thought that's kind of where I started with Jessica's personality. And then Flaviano started coming up with designs. And I think her personality came about even more as the designs were, as we were going through that design process. Um, you know, it was kind of like watching her come to life and it's like, okay, yeah, I know who this is. Like I know Jessica and uh, uh, it's, it's always fun to write her. Um, and the side characters as well are, uh, a ton of fun to include. I love their designs. Marcel and Eddie um, will be getting into a lot more of their backstory and their relationship with Jess as the story continues as well. But I can say that I think Flaviano and I have a special love for Eddie. Um, his design was kind of based on Michael Monroe from uh, Hanoi Rocks. Um, and surprisingly, like Michael Monroe still looks a lot like that, like the very 80s hair metal, like white hair sticking up. Um, yeah, so I, I'm excited. They both are really unique characters in their own right, and uh, we'll be doing a lot with them as well. Well, that's another aspect that I found really interesting, too, because you have these these people who, you know, they were just like you and I in their regular life, and then they die, and now they've been recruited to be Reapers. Your love of history, you know, you can do Reapers from any time period, and then you can kind of yeah. play with kind of the, you know, fish out of water. People can't relate because they come from completely different time period. So that, that's kind of a built-in uh, thing with just, you know, massive story potential. Oh, yes, that, that was definitely something that I was really excited about. And I don't even know that we've seen all of the Reapers that Fabiano has designed yet. Like he has just design sheet after design sheet of Reapers from all different time periods. Um, and yes, they definitely will start playing a bigger and bigger part. You know, I wanted the story to really focus initially on Jessica so that people kind of got got to know the universe a little bit and do it more um I'm somebody that like, I'm not usually a big fantasy person, but when I come to the genre of fantasy as a reader, I prefer when it's more character driven versus just like, here's all this cool stuff in the universe. So I wanted to kind of start with just start kind of small and then issue by issue, we expand this universe and you get to see um, more of the stuff that we've designed for it, more of the ways that the universe functions and the Reapers function within that universe. Um, so it's really cool and and very inventive too, especially on Flaviano's part, some of the rooms and spaces he's designed and the way that the afterlife is laid out, as you'll see in upcoming uh, issues, it's it's mind blowing. Like the things that he's created, it's like, you know, I, I know that we've kind of been jamming together on those designs, but then he runs so fast with that ball. It's amazing. So I'm excited for people to see it. Yeah. I thought the art in the first issue was amazing. You know, a lot of times for a first issue, I'll get pulled into the narrative so much that I don't notice the art, but this time it almost went the other way where I had to stop. I'm like, this art is amazing. Let me go. Like, who is this again? I, I literally had to go back to, uh, to the credits page. So I want to talk about how he got involved uh, in the project first, but one more thing. Um, kind of on the, on the Reapers and, and your love of history and, and all that. Um, we did meet two of them early on uh, in the first issue. And yeah, Jess is so different, you know, as juxtaposed to them. So I think focusing on them as characters and, and Jess specifically, like you said, uh, rather than the world can 
sort of, then when things are introduced into the world, we as readers have an anchor and I think it sticks more rather than just saying, this is how the afterworld is laid out, you know, like a big sort of map kind of thing. And the characters just inhabit it to go, go the other way around. Um, and I, this may be far into the future and what have you, but is Jess always going to be the main character? I mean, the, the book is, is called Grimm. Uh, you know, it's not called Jessica Harrow. So um, is she always going to be the, the protagonist? Are we going to maybe shift around and have other uh, reapers kind of show us different parts of the world? Yeah, that's definitely something that we have planned for for some upcoming stuff. Um, again, I don't want to give too much away. Um, Flaviano and I, I think also see it as a lot of potential for kind of the way they're doing something is killing the children with some kind of spinoff issues on other characters that have gotcha. so much potential. And um, we wanted Eddie and Marcel not to feel just like sidekicks to Jess. So while we kind of meet them initially in the first chapter as Jess's friends, um, I do think that, you know, as the universe grows and the story progresses, they they get to be kind of, um, they stand on their own a little bit more, especially as we get into their backstories and their own histories, which um, is something I'm really excited about. <laughs> well, I'm glad you chose Jess to kind of be our uh, POV character, because it's interesting, you know, you uh, referred to her being the only Reaper who doesn't know, you know, how she died, how she's there. So she has a lot of questions and so i think she's a great character because we have questions too obviously uh, about the world we're just being uh, introduced to um so that's how we relate to jess how do you relate to her like how you, you mentioned that she's kind of snarky a little bit of an edge is that is, does that come from your personality like where where's your touch point for uh, for jess yeah i mean i think i like that personality a lot i'm not sure that that's me as much as i think harley is is more like me and my humor so i this mm -hmm. is more like uh, almost an idealized version of that for gotcha. me. It's like, uh, you know, I, the I things think I, you, you wish know. you could say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I always like that, like the dark broody character. And it's like, I am not, I am the outgoing bubbly talks too much, uh, like that kind of thing. Um, but I always find those characters really interesting. Um, so I, I definitely, I wanted to write one. I wanted to make her honestly, like, a really just cool protagonist like the, this female that's just like too cool to be too cool to be dead like <laughs> that, that kind of uh personality and um I think it's a lot of fun to write uh you know getting to have Eddie be that character that kind of voices a lot of the internal stuff more than the main character is also fun um so that Jess gets to be a little bit more uh I guess I you know I said broody but kind of um matching the world a little bit and i think that that's funny like having the the main reaper we follow be kind of sullen and her friends be a little bit livelier kind of makes fun of this like you expect her to be sullen and they kind of poke fun at her um like there's a point in the the first issue where she can do this kind of skeleton face which i think of it kind of like a mood ring when jess gets super mad her face can look partially like a skeleton um and eddie kind of makes a comment like not the creepy skeleton face which <laughs> i kind of like poking fun at the genre and the darkness of a lot of these afterlife stories that already exist yeah i mentioned the, the first issue uh, it's kind of subverting my expectations i mean it's it's grim the title is grim uh but just kind of comes across as anything but she's very like, oh, she seems almost happy to be a reaper. Obviously, she has questions or whatnot, but she's like, this is the hand I've been dealt and I'm just going to, you know, do the best I can. And yeah, there was a there was a fun uh, and a frivolity to the story that I didn't expect that I really enjoyed. Yeah.
Thanks. I appreciate that. that. It's been a lot of fun to write, so I'm glad that comes across as well. Now, uh, is this something you've been developing for uh, a really long time, kind of on the back burner? Like, what's the, uh, the impetus of the idea? In different stages, yes. I've always wanted to write a book with a dead protagonist. I'm not entirely sure why, but um, I've had lots of iterations of stories that kind of starred Jess to some degree or another. Um, the Reaper thing, uh, I'm not sure exactly at what point we hit on it, but this was something Boom was really interested in just talking with me about the character Jess and her being this dead protagonist, kind of solving her own um, her own death um, as we follow her. But then it started to, in my head, click of like, well, then it seems like we need some kind of question and answer about the afterlife. And I think it just kind of started developing from there. And, um, you know, I'm not prescribing in this book to any specific religion or culture. And as the book progresses, we actually do see elements pulled from all over the world, which was kind of fun to just read about death and like death practices. Um, I thought that was that was actually really interesting. And maybe at some point I should do like a little list of cool, like nonfiction books about like death around the world. Cause I found some interesting like series and things like that on um, just how different viewpoints on death. So um, yeah, that was, that was kind of where Jess came from and the world grew around her. I knew that I wanted to give her companions. I think Eddie came first because I just, I thought it was so funny that her best friend would be like a eighties hair metal rocker. I just, I wanted them to be really different and really random. Um, because like you said, if everyone dies from every period of history, we could really have um, some unique characters in the story. Yeah. And that's the other thing that makes it relatable. Uh, you know, I recently had a, a birthday and I'm, I feel like I'm closer to the end now than the beginning. <laughs> we all are going to die at some point. I mean, that is something, you know, mortality is something we can all Really, too. We don't think about it when we're younger, but as you get older, believe me, it, it shows up a little more. So we'll all be uh, visited by Jess at some point, I wonder. Uh, we've talked a little bit about Flaviano and his designs and uh, his, his visual and narrative storytelling is, is fantastic. Um, when you were developing it, was, uh, was it Boom that suggested him? Did you have him in mind from art you had seen uh, that work he'd done before? Yeah, uh, Boom suggested him really early on. Like, uh, this is something I developed really alongside with Boom, um, you know, just kind of back and forth for months with Boom, like kind of fleshing out the story. And I think before anything was even on paper, they were like, go check out Flaviano. Um, and I, I had seen some of his work before and like really looking at it in terms of like, this person drawing reapers and building this world with me. And I was like, 100%. We never discussed any other artist for this book. It, that was, that was it. We were like, yeah, as long as Flaviano mm -hmm. says, yes, like we'll all like, cross our fingers and toes. Um, and, you know, luckily he did. And uh, I'm glad because all of us across the board really could not see anybody else doing this title. Yeah. It, it's so clean and his style just suits it just so well like i said I, I got about four pages in and i had this thought it's so <laughs> yeah. uh, amazing and we also have to give a shout out to the the color artist on the book rico renzi uh because this is a book where you know it's a fantasy world it's the afterlife and you know traveling between worlds and whatnot a lot of times that the emotion the impact is going to be set by by uh, the color artist so i thought he did a, a fantastic job um have you had a chance to to talk directly to him or is, do you just kind of leave uh Flavio and, and Rico to work things out? 
Um, I mean, I definitely don't get in the way of them collaborating together. Um, but uh, absolutely, Rico has been incredible. I love having him on the team. Um, and his work is great. I think Tom Napoletano, who does our letters as well, I think just brings something really cool and different because you get to step away. I've, I've worked with Tom. He does um, Wonder Woman with us, uh, with myself and Mike Hawthorne. And I love Tom's lettering. And I thought it was really fun to bring him in on this project. And he gets to kind of step outside the superhero box and do um, maybe things that you wouldn't normally see in a traditional like big two book uh, that kind of has a little bit more rules about lettering. And, and this, I think, is really creative. And we've tried to find cool ways to give Tom stuff to do that isn't just uh, a traditional balloon. Um, and one thing, like, I'm usually not big on including music in comics because I just, if you can't really hear it, I just don't think it translates as well. Um, but this book, especially with Eddie being an, a former rock star, it was like, I really want to find a way to make that music follow through on every issue. And uh, Tom killed it. <laughs> I was, I was like kind of hesitant going back on that choice. Um, but from page one, where we include Don't Fear the Reaper, uh, Tom just found really unique ways to include music, which I think it's issue two, you'll see even more of that. And some of my favorite pages in issue two are just like all of them working incredibly well together. Like the line work is incredible from Flaviano, the colors are amazing. And then Tom's use of like including the music in there. It's so cool. Uh, it's just, just really exciting. So I can't wait to show off those pages. Yeah, I thought that was pretty awesome too. I mean, I know that song backwards and forwards, and so as soon as I saw like three, you know, three words of the of the line of the lyric, I was like, oh, I know that song, and how obviously, you know, very appropriate. They're Reapers, and it's uh, it's Blue Oyster Cult. It's probably probably their most famous song. So uh, obviously, we uh, again, we don't want to spoil everybody. You need to go out and pick this up. It's it's amazing, uh, such a fun read. But is there anything coming up, maybe in the first arc, maybe a little bit further down the line, that you uh, are nervous about or super excited about like I can't wait till issue whatever four comes out and everybody sees <laughs> oh. this moment they're going to flip out I'm going to go on social media yeah. and people are going to be going crazy well I guess something I didn't anticipate uh I've been seeing theories about why Jess is different um mm. you know kind of our cliffhanger in issue one kind of seeing something that makes her very different from other Reapers. And I'm seeing theories about why she's able to do something that she's able to do. And I won't say it because I don't want to spoil it. Um, and that's something I didn't expect. And I'm like, so far, all of the theories are wrong. And that's <laughs> actually really exciting. I was like, wow, I was actually concerned that from issue one, like the whole mystery would be so obvious. And I was like, Whew, okay. All right. This is actually, uh, I think going to unfold. Uh, I don't know. I just, I'm excited to see people's reactions once they realize what's actually going on. And um, I think once we get to like issue five, how I sell this book to people will be very different from how I'm selling it now. Mm. Um, because the mythology will have grown so much over the first five issues that it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to now say this without spoiling things, but it's it's really cool and something I'm very excited about how it all clicked together. Um, again, I think this is the closest to like fantasy I've done. This is the most world building I've ever done. Um, and seeing it all click into place with Flaviano, it's, it's really exciting. It's super creative, again, coming from a world where I do primarily historical fiction or I work in a preset fictional world like Gotham, developing that from the ground up with an artist is 
it's really cool, like getting to see that come together and getting to see people kind of learn the universe. Yeah, I was going to touch on that next, how this, this is really different than anything you, that you've done before. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, but one thing that you, you said there that, that resonated with me, uh, you know, we've talked so much about how this is focusing on Jess and her story and the mystery uh, surrounding her and how you're building out the world character first. But that is the other aspect of it. it. It's almost an equal balance, and you've done it so well that it feels like an intimate story with Jess and also the the soul that she brings over in in the first issue. We kind of you know relate to him and think about what he's going through. But then the other half of it is we do see so much of the the world that you've created, and it does feel vast and huge in scope. Was that a challenge to balance? Did it click right away? Is it a, a challenge? continuously going forward to keep that intimate story, but also, hey, this is a big world and we're going to be expanding and learning about it. Yeah, I think so. The I think the kind of tax we went with for that was we see those parts of the universe as Jess hits on them. Um, so instead of just giving one big overview tour of the afterlife and explaining everything, it's kind of like, yeah, this is this is just the afterlife and you're going to see it as Jess walks into a new room or something. We're not giving you a blueprint. We're not giving you the layout for it. Um, we also want it to feel kind of nebulous because the afterlife wouldn't have like dimensions. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have a super set location. Um, so for that reason, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of inventiveness with how characters move around in the afterlife and it can change. Um, so I also wanted the feel of the afterlife to be two things like super sleek and modern as if it's like a growing thing that has changed over time, but some parts of it are still really anachronistic, which you'll see in issue two, probably one of the most gorgeous things I've seen Fabiano draw. Um, and I won't give away what it is, but it's something that seems very out of place and out of time, especially for the afterlife. But the cool thing is there are no rules and we got to kind of say like, this is, this is the direction we want to go. We want it to sometimes be unexpected. Um, and it will sometimes be really sleek and modern. And sometimes it will be the exact opposite of that because the afterlife has gone through its own transitions and been this kind of, it's weird to say like a living organism because mm -hmm. uh, it's obviously housing the dead, um, but it's something that has changed as obviously the afterlife has existed for so long. Yeah, going back to your, to your love of history. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, a lot of the titles you've done kind of pull in that historical, uh, historical fiction uh, Man Among Ye, uh, one of my favorite things you've done, which, you know, had to do with uh, Mary Reed. Um, so you obviously have that aspect here you, that you're comfortable with. And it is, you know, fantastical, much like working uh, in Gotham City, working with superheroes or whatnot. But there really is, I mean, this is your thing. There really is not somebody ever going, well, you can't do that because this character is a billion dollar IP or, or whatever. Yeah. Is that freeing as a creator is it scary is it challenging is it all of the above like where do you land on that I, I mean I think it's it is all of the above like there are there are good things about it there's also elements that will sometimes become paralyzing I mean there was an issue that I was writing recently and I got hung up on some rule that I created for the characters that I was like that rule doesn't have to actually apply in this situation because I'm the one who made the rule. <laughs> I can change this. And it was like, it was like a while before I realized what, that I had like backed myself in a corner for no reason. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, you know, actually getting to change your mindset to be like, 
you know, I, I get to kind of drive those rules and the way the universe is put together. And um, yeah, I mean, I, the cool that that's again, both good and bad about something like Gotham. I do like that there are pre-established things, but then every once in a while, you know, you run into the issue of like, well, no, I can't do this story or I can't interact with this character because of what's currently happening in that mythology. So, um, you know, both are good and bad. And I think that's why I like being able to do both simultaneously, like writing the big IP and also creating my own IP. So I get the best of both worlds. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Well, let's touch on, let's touch on Harley for a second. Uh, you've been doing it for a while now. Uh, I, I, it's my favorite version of, of Harley, you know, that's oh, within DC continuity. Uh, I don't know if it's you, that it's your sensibility or, or the fact that you remind us regularly just how smart she is. And it's just not that zany, crazy that, I mean, not, and, and it's fine that that's for some people, but for me, it's not, I, I, I'm a little more cerebral. So I like the fact that you make it very obvious that Harley has a, has a brain. She's very intelligent. Uh, but has it, has it gotten easier now that you have found your footing, you've been working on it for a while? Um, or is it, do you still just, you know, struggle to, to not necessarily struggle, but yeah. still kind of finding your footing or, or do you feel pretty comfortable now? No, I feel very comfortable with Harley. Uh, Harley feels like, you know, whenever I, in my schedule, it's like a, a Harley script writing week. I feel excited. I'm like, yeah, this, I know how to do this. You know, there's, there's a lot less, learning a new character or getting into the voices or backstory it's um very much become you know mine and riley's thing at this point and i feel like we're really cohesive working on that um and uh yeah it's really cool i think to be working on her during her 30th anniversary which is coming up in i believe september it's either august or september um so we've got a lot planned i think in the next week or two we'll be announcing a lot of stuff uh and that's that's really exciting getting to kind of be the person writing her. Um, and also looking back at like, you know, I like 30 years ago is when I first saw her like in the animated series. And uh, yeah, it's a really interesting uh, kind of turn to now be the Harley writer. Yeah. She has such a huge fan base too. And, and, you know, all the gamut, some people, you know, came to her from the animated series, some different versions, comics, even uh, the movies now, live action movies. Yeah. Uh, is it is it challenging to try to put a little something in there for for everyone? Uh, do you do you feel like the Harley communities uh, embraced what you and Riley have been doing? I don't know that I worry so much about trying to appease all of those. Uh, you know, I definitely think there's a contingency, and I see it at you know conventions, like the people that are the big Margot Robbie fans, which is great, and I'm a big Margot Robbie fan. I love what she's done with the character. Um, don't usually, uh, there isn't always that intersection between their love for that version of the character and even any version of a comic character, um, which I think is actually a really cool thing about comics that they like are some of the few things that I think really can transcend the medium. Like if you look around at a comic convention, um, or I used to do this when I was a teacher, like how many students in the classroom have something related to the Avengers or Superman, and they've never picked up a comic, but they have such love um, and devotion to these, these fan bases. And I mean, I think that's, that's really unique for a storytelling medium to have that kind of power and potential. Um, so, you know, I look at it like, I want to tell the stories that I want to tell with Harley. I have things that I am specifically interested in. You know, I think the verdict storyline has kind of a murder mystery component to it, which is something I really like. It's very street level. 
uh, Verdict is exactly the kind of character I wanted to introduce into the DC universe. And uh, I think Verdict existed well before Keepsake did. Uh, Verdict was one of the first things that Riley and I ever created together. Um, and that name was something that like I, I kind of had in the bank. I was like, I know I want this character to be called the Verdict. Like, I think that's, I just think that's really cool. Um, yeah, and, and Riley and I kind of designed that character before issue one was even done. Um, so getting to see her kind of out in the world now and telling that story and, you know, I know it comes up next, so I can't say it, but it's like, it's another play on genre with Harley that is just one of my favorite genres. And getting to do that with Harley Quinn has been, so much fun, <laughs> like putting kind of a Harley twist on it. Um, and I know what happens after that arc. Um, and again, it's another thing that like just excites me about stories and I get to have, have it done from Harley's point of view and in a way that only Harley would interact with that genre. Yeah, it's really crazy to sit here and, and talk about Harley this way. I mean, I really do feel like she's the fourth pillar of the, the DC yeah. universe at this point. You know, she's completely, you know, outgrown her her villain villainous origins and uh what i love about the verdict storyline is you know her being framed uh you pull that back in you know you you're, you're pulling in her past and how people perceive her uh she wasn't always you know on the side of angels so i like i think both as readers we need to be reminded of that once in a while uh that she has her flaws and she's made her mistakes in the past and, and also in in the context of the story that uh, other people are are reminded because then at the end, hopefully she comes out on top and it shows other people within the universe that, yes, redemption is possible. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the next two arcs, that will be an even bigger and heavier note um, with some stuff that's coming up. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like playing with that idea with Harley as well. Yeah, see that. And, and again, that's why this is the longest I've ever been on a run with Harley, because you're, you're exploring those themes that are, I think are interesting. Uh, you mentioned... Uh, your Wonder Woman work that you're doing with um, with Mike Hawthorne. It's almost done. Um, I won't put you on the spot and ask you if there's more Wonder Woman to come because you probably can't say necessarily, but she seems to be a character that you really relate to uh, as well, but in a different way than, than Harley. Obviously, she's been, been around a lot longer and she is iconic the world over. Um, yeah. What are the challenges uh, on working with the, uh, on Diana? Um, I mean, I think that's uh, the challenges of working on her. Some of the reasons I, I wanted to work on her. Uh, I felt like I always grew up with Diana as this icon, but less of a, an actual person. Um, and in some ways, I think that's kind of funny, like to just explore those elements about Diana and kind of throw it back at her. Like, okay, well, who are you? <laughs> like, you know, yeah, we get it. You can wield a sword and things like that. But um, I wanted to do a really deep character dive on her um, and, and do it less about, uh, you know, again, a, a specific villain or anything and really more about who is Diana and kind of throw everything from her history back at her um, and make her respond to it and also make her respond to failure in ways that she doesn't always expect. Um, so especially as we'll see in the next two issues, um, kind of the way that Diana fails or struggles with failure, overcomes failure or doesn't, um, I, I think are really important to who she is and what makes her different from just being a female Superman, which I really don't think she is, um, which is one of the reasons I also wanted to have Superman in this story, even just as like a small side character, um, to kind of show that contrast really as starkly as I could make it. 
Yeah, I mean, the title's called Wonder Woman Evolution, and, and that's what I, I find so interesting. I mean, when you think about these these characters, obviously, Harley's gone from being a villain to, you know, to more of a hero. But in terms of Batman and Superman, yes, you know, aesthetically, they've been changed to sort of keep up with, with the times. But when you think back to their origins, you know, when Wonder Woman was created, women were perceived in our society much differently. I mean, there's still a long way to go, don't get me wrong, um, but there's a lot more equality, gender equality now. So, you know, there's the whole bondage themes and everything when she was, she was created. So really, in terms of evolution, she really has, you know, changed the most as our society and, and gender roles have changed. So I think it's important to be reminded of that once in a while. And uh, I, I, again, I'm really enjoying the story. I think there's a lot there. Um, if you want to look below the surface, but if you don't want to look below the surface, you just love comics with all out action and awesome art. I mean, Mike Hawthorne's killing yeah. it. So he's amazing. Uh, well, let's touch on uh, another one of your uh, recent books that I read. This was a, a comicsology digital called, I want to make sure I get the title right now. Uh, we only kill each other. So going back to your love of, uh, of history, why don't you tell everybody what this uh, what this book is about? Yeah, it's about uh, Jewish American gangsters in the lead up to World War II taking on the American Nazi movement, which uh, I don't think a lot of people know about how much the Nazi movement was actually growing on American soil um, around like 1937, 1938. There were large contingent contingencies of people following this, this figure who called himself the American Fuhrer. Um, and uh, a lot of people calling for America to side with Germany in the war. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I and it's actually based on a true story. American uh, gangsters were actually asked to go break up these Nazi rallies and just like beat people up. Um, so we use that as the starting point. But we kind of made this um, a little bit more like alternate fiction. So instead of just a straight retelling, which I did with something like Butcher of Paris, uh, this is definitely more alternate history and nonfiction Um nonfiction history. Um, the characters are made up though loosely based on some real life gangsters. And um, the ending is, I think, more like wish fulfillment and not something that happened in real life, uh, <laughs> kind of getting it closer to something along the lines of like an inglorious bastards. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and it is based in, you know, history, like you said, the thing, the thing that is a little disheartening is here we are, what, 60, 70 years later? No more than that, even 80, 90 years later. And all of a sudden there's, it feels like there's this rise of, you know, white nationalism again in this country. And I, I just feel like, didn't we learn our lesson? Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's frustrating. Was that part of why you wanted to, to tell the story beyond your love of history? Yeah, I, I definitely think that moment in time has a lot of resonance for today. Um, and I think it's something that, again, so many people don't realize about our own history um, that I, I wanted to really give it more attention. Um, like, uh, I don't think we include the visual of this, but there is like you can look it up a big Nazi rally that happened at Madison Square Garden in I believe it was 1938 or 39. And the visuals of it are insane. And sometimes a lot of the things actually being said by the American Fuhrer character that's in the book, uh, Fritz Julius Kuhn, uh, are actually coming from speeches that he gave about 
wanting to see the rise of the Aryan race and how Jews were to blame for so many problems and disliking minorities. And um, that's, you know, first, it's crazy that that's happening on American soil, because I think there's this big patriotic push to see World War II as like, well, we went and fought the Nazis, um, which even if that's how you view World War II, it's interesting, like you said, that now we have this like big white nationalist kind of uprising happening uh, for people claiming that that's patriotism. Um, so yeah, I, I really wanted to visually show a lot of what was happening at the time period while having two characters that I feel like could be really relatable from different angles. Uh, I wanted to look at the role that religion was playing in their lives, um, have the kind of religious taskmaster paired with the, the brutish young kid um, and just kind of see them at odds as they're working towards a goal. Um, I think the tagline we came up with with was something like, um, they hate each other, but they hate Nazis more. So they're able yeah. to briefly work together uh, to basically try to take on the Nazi movement. Yeah, and you got to work with uh, Peter Krauss, who yeah. veteran comic, uh, amazing artist. Uh, I think uh, I've, I've had him on the show before to talk about his uh, his creator owned that he did at IDW. No, was it? No, it was Bloom actually. Um, yeah. With Mark Wade, uh, uh, irredeemable. Yeah. So, what was that experience like working with Peter? Oh, just amazing. Um, you know, reading comics. I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like Peter would like slap me if I was in the room, being like, "I read Peter's comics when I was a teenager." <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, that's really cool getting to uh, be a collaborator and friend with somebody that I have admired for so long. Uh, you know, I never thought that I'd be working with Peter Krauss. Uh, every page is just amazing. And a part of my job was really like, drive the story and get out of Pete's way. <laughs> like, <laughs> Let him do the thing that he's really good at. And I feel like his style is just so perfect for the kind of stories that I really love telling. Um, you know, I, we, we both definitely hope there's more future collaborations because um, those are things that we both really like. Um, the, the period pieces, uh, I love writing them. He loves drawing them. I feel like it's a, it's a really good match. Yeah, I would say, yeah, you guys definitely nailed it. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he captured not, not even just in the aesthetic in terms of the architecture and like the cars and the clothing and, and whatnot, but I don't know, there, there was just an atmosphere, there was a mood to the story that it just, it was so grounded in that, in that time, you know, like you, you had that sense of foreboding of, hey, yes, we're going to end up in the war and, you know, people were still kind of hopeful and, and the angst of the, uh, of the two main uh, characters, I, I thought, yeah, it was, it was, he did a fantastic job. Yeah, he definitely did. Now, uh, I mentioned it did come out from Comixology. Uh, was that any different as far as, you know, your, your process being that it was digital first or um, was there anything that was switched up? Did you have the whole thing completed before uh, it was released? What was kind of the, uh, kind of the workflow? I think it was all completed before it was released. Um, I, I mean, we changed up a few things. Uh, usually in the digital reader, it doesn't like spreads. Um, sometimes it doesn't even do particularly well with splash pages that have a lot of words on them. So we were trying to keep that in mind. Uh, but for the print version, so if we wanted to do something like a spread, we would get kind of creative with the page layout and then in the print version, we just changed it up for the print version and made it a regular double page spread. Um, so that's it's a tiny difference from the digital 
digital to the print, though all of the actual like narration and stuff is the same. Um, so a couple considerations that we made for it. And uh, yeah, actually like being in charge of every element of that process from start to finish, like being project manager and, um, you know, getting getting everybody on the team together for deadlines and things like that, that that was very new for me. So uh, it was it was a fun process. Yeah, it's a it's a great story, everybody. And I will, will remind everybody, uh, like when we were talking about Scott Snyder's best jacket stuff on Comixology, if you have Amazon Prime, you can go read the story for free. Uh, it's included in your membership. So I highly encourage you to go and check it out. It's a really, really awesome story. Uh, and if you don't have Amazon Prime, then you can go and, uh, and pick it up and read it anyway, uh, digitally or or in print. Uh, now I know you're you're super busy. You have uh, tons of projects going on. Um, anything at all that you can uh, that you can tease? Um, yeah. Uh, well, I'm working for a company that I don't think uh, anything has been announced with my name on it yet. Um, it is a company that my name has not been seen with before uh, with some characters that I think are very well known. Uh, so I am thrilled, like, uh, I mean, childhood characters and franchises that um, I feel like shaped my childhood and getting to kind of work on and write those. So I, I feel like the first thing will be announced this month. Um, and then another thing in like, two months or so. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's something that now that I'm getting closer to actually like announcing some of these big things, I'm excited. Um, and again, like I said, we'll, we have a big Harley event coming up that we'll be talking about in, I think now like a week or something like that. So I'm like counting down the days until when I can finally talk about that because it's actually, it's all written and it's like been done for a while. So um, getting to finally let the world know about it. Um, like about something that I've known for a long time is really cool. Um, and some grim announcements uh, that we will be, I don't know when we will be making, but I think soon. So that'll be cool. Yeah, and then you, uh, you have a, a story in the uh, anthology for Dark Crisis as well. Yes, which I actually just got that in the mail today. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a Harley story. Um, so kind of a, a little bit of how Harley will start fitting into the event as well. Yeah, I imagine uh, the way that Joshua Williamson has built it out, it's Dark Crisis is going to kind of touch on on everybody. So I'm sure all, because yeah. uh, last time I had him on the show, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to talk to all the writers on, on the regular books and, you know, find out where they are in their stories and where their characters are. So, you know, it's going to end up being a, a big, uh, a big thing. I mean, it runs all the way through the end of the year, Dark Crisis does. So it's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's really cool. Uh, the things about Dark Crisis that I've gotten to see and when I've talked to Josh about it. Um, and I think it was announced that I'm writing the Green Arrow portion of Dark Crisis, uh, which is great. Uh, I know that Josh knows my my love for Oliver. So uh, I was really excited to get to work on that piece of it. Yeah, I saw that you were doing that. And I was uh, I was excited uh, for you and excited for myself because uh, <laughs> I love I love when you write Green Arrow. Well, uh, how far you have come since we first had you on the show, you still had the day job. Uh, now you get to yeah. do this full time, which is uh, amazing. Uh, my best to your family. I know your mom's probably your biggest fan. So uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure that she uh, was very happy when the, the grim numbers came in. It must have been, it's a, you know, no matter if it's putting a story out there that's for an established character or historical fiction or uh, something new like grim 
as a, a creative, there's always that little bit of trepidation. How are people going to uh, receive this, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, the reception has been really amazing. Like seeing early cosplays of, of Jessica is really neat. Um, seeing, I think when the comp showed up yesterday, it's like 18 different covers, um, you know, a lot of store exclusives, but you know, I think that's, I think that might be even more than what we had for Harley Quinn number one. Like that's, that's really incredible for, you know, any indie title. And I've been seeing boom just with something is killing the children or we only find them when they're dead, like putting out these really amazing books and um, they're just such good champions for the product that they're putting out. But that's, uh, it's really nice to be working with them. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And everybody, I, it gets my highest po possible recommendation. I, I cannot stress enough that you need to go out and pick up this book. It's absolutely amazing. It's such a, a wild and fun ride. And that great balance, like I said, between an intimate story focusing on Jeff, Jess and this, uh, this world, this big world that I can't wait to learn more about. So uh, congrats again, Seth, on a, a fantastic launch. So uh, anything else that you want to share about Grimm or otherwise as we're uh, winding down here? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just, you know, thank you so much to everyone that, you know, pushed us into the multiple printings of Grimm. And that's it's really incredible to see. So, yeah. And thank you for having me on again. Oh, it's always uh, it's always fun to talk. One of these days we're going to meet in person. Uh, it's going to yeah, happen. I know. <laughs> That'll happen. <laughs> it seems soon. crazy. We've known each other for so long virtually. We've yes. never met in person. Uh, well, remind everybody where they can follow your work online, um, social media, where are you most active? Uh, most active on Twitter at Steph underscore smash. All right. And I'll put a link to uh, Steph's Twitter in the show notes, everybody. So if you're having trouble finding her, you can just go and click there. So uh, again, Stephanie Phillips, thanks so much for joining us. Congrats on Grimm. Uh, to all you listeners, we want to thank you for joining us as always, and we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.